Good morning. Welcome to Fellowship of Huntsville on this beautiful sunny day. So uh, after the miserable weather last week, I was very tempted to not walk in those doors earlier to come in here. No offense, but um, I resisted the temptation to stay out there and just soak up this sun. So um, if you were visiting with us this morning and you resisted the temptation as well, then came in here to worship with us, then welcome. There is a card underneath the seat in front of you. We'd love for you to fill that out and just turn it in. Tell us about who you are and we'd get in touch with you. Also, you can drop it in the box in the back, which is also where we take offerings. So we have a lot of people in here that are wearing these yam shirts. This is the color yam. But because it is so close to that central Austin color, I have covered most of it up. I was tempted just to come in like this, but that would look kind of strange if you guys... So I resisted. And uh, all right, so enough of that. Uh, So CF is going on to the book of John. So if you would turn to John chapter 20. Now, I um, went to college at A&M as a freshman in 86, so 1986, which is a while back. And uh, Chris Osborne was at Central Baptist. This was his first year to be pastor at Central Baptist. I don't know if you guys know who Chris Osborne was, but he started the book of John, and he still wasn't finished when I graduated five years later. And he preached very, very similar to CF. So I'm not saying that it's going to be five plus years, but for those of you that are pregnant, your child will be five plus years old. (laughs) I will be 60 and CF will be 70 ish when this book is finished. Those of you who are 7th and 8th graders, you will be out of school and in college. (laughs) And if China's balloons do not take us over, then uh, we'll still be free. Amen. Amen. All right, John chapter 20, the last two verses, um, CF's going to be doing a summary of the book of John here this morning. And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for your truth. I thank you for this wonderful book of scripture, your message to us. I just pray for CF and for the words that come through him, that they may be your words to us, that we may walk out of here glorifying you. I thank you, Lord, for loving us and caring for us. We say this in your name. Amen. Good morning, everybody. If you're here and you're visiting with us, as a David said, the folks in Orange Shirt are all part of the youth group. And this weekend was their disciple now. And that is a uh, event that our youth, our student minister puts on, Tim, every year to help these students get better grounded in the Lord. If you're in the youth who are a part of that this weekend, please stand. That's a good group of people right there. Thank you. 
Some of them have left early, and uh, parents picked them up and stuff, and some were unable to come, but we're grateful for them, grateful for Tim and the work that he does, and uh, good to have them here. Uh, I'm, I'm alone this week. My wife and kids, they went snow skiing in New Mexico, so they're on the slopes this morning. I, I guess you call that having a good time. Uh, they like it. I'll put it that way. Uh, Anyway, we're going to do the Gospel of John. And like I do in all books, when we do it, we're going to do like an introduction to the book to where you can understand what the book's about. Then beginning next Sunday, we're going to begin with chapter 1, verse 1. And we'll go through the book. And hopefully you'll be able to gain a greater understanding and appreciation of uh, who Jesus Christ is. The verses that David read says that, and truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. It's one of the few books in the Bible where the theme and purpose of the book is given to you. And most of them you have to study the book to figure it out. But John puts it in there. He says, the purpose of this book is so that you may know that Jesus is the Christ. What does that mean? Messiah, the promised one of God, the anointed of God that would come to take away the sin of the world. And secondly, that believing you may have life in his name, that in the person of Jesus, you may have eternal life in him. And so we're going to look this morning, do a quick overview of the book. And then next Sunday, we'll begin chapter 1, verse 1. So let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll begin. Father God, we come to you in prayer. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness and for your grace toward us, for the blessings that you've given us in this life, and for the goodness that we have. We pray for this study of the Gospel of John, that, Lord, you would grant us understanding and insight, that we would leave here knowing you better, understanding you better, Therefore, better able to serve and live for you in all that we do. I thank you for everyone that's here and ask your blessings upon this time as we gather. For it's in Christ's name we pray, Lord. Amen. Amen. Over in the book of Matthew, Jesus is walking with his disciples in the region of Caesarea Philippi. And he asks what is probably the most important question in the Bible. He says, who do men say that I am? And they give him a laundry list of people. They said, some say you're Elijah, some say you're Jeremiah, some say you're one of the other prophets. And then he narrows the question down, and he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter answers him, and Peter says this, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. That is the most important question in the world. Who is Jesus Christ? There are many questions about that. Many people asking questions about that. And so Jesus poses the question to them. If you were to go around and ask conservative Christians, who do you say Jesus Christ is? They would immediately appeal to his deity. They would say he is God. He is God come in the flesh. He is God's only son. Those would be common responses. 
If you go to many liberal Christians, and a lot of them aren't really Christian, but if you went to them and said, who is Jesus Christ? What would they say? They would focus on his humanity. They would say he was a kind, forgiving man. He healed the sick. He fed uh, those that were hungry. He ministered to the poor. And both sides would be right. The conservative is right. The liberal side is right. But the best answer for that is both sides. Because not only is he God coming to the human flesh, he is also man. And he lived here on earth as a man should live. He lived with grace and compassion toward those around him. So he is both. He is unique. He is, in the scripture, he's referred to as the only begotten of God. And the only begotten of God means one and unique. Doesn't mean he was created or, or brought into existence or anything. It means he's unique. How is Jesus unique? He's unique in this sense. Well, he's unique in many ways, but he's unique in particular in this sense. Jesus Christ is 100% God and undiminished deity. If you want to know what God is like, look at the person of Jesus. That's what God is like. He is fully God. On the other hand, he's 100% man without sin. He is the perfect God-man. And he came to the earth as a Jewish male. And he lived under the law. And he kept the law perfectly. He fulfilled all the law without sin. And so when he comes to the end of his life, he's able to go to the cross as our substitute. He dies in our place as a man. He is the only man without sin, so he is the only man that can pay for sin. And he goes to the cross and pay for our sin, but at the same time, he's God, so he's fully accepted by the Father. The perfect God-man. And that's really what is focused on in the Gospel of John is the deity of Jesus Christ. If you look at the synoptic Gospels, and the synoptic Gospels are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And all synoptic means, when I say the synoptic Gospels, what that means is, it means to afford a general view as a whole, okay? Or that uh, which is uh, taking a common view of something. And so when you look at Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they, they take the chronological life of Christ and they all compile these same events together from their point of view. So each one of those views is going to differ a little bit. I mean, if you and I were standing out front and we saw a car go down the road and someone asked us, what just happened? We'd give a description of what we saw, but because of where we were standing, we saw it at different angles. We saw it in a different way, but we'd be both telling the same story. That's what the synoptic gospels do. They give you a chronological story of the life of Christ. The gospel of John is unique in this sense. The gospel of John is a topical view of the life of Jesus Christ. When you look at the gospel of John, it is centered around seven miracles and seven I am statements where Jesus says, I am, and then this, and gives you a description, okay? So it's, it's centered around those two things. Why? Because John is presenting, I mean, Jesus, uh, John is presenting Jesus as God. That's what he's doing in Scripture. The title of the book 
we have is called The Gospel According to John. The title was originally called Kata Janan. And what that simply means is According to John. The part, the gospel, was added later. Okay? So originally it was according to John. And that's how the, the letter was always viewed or the book was always viewed. The name John means that Yahweh has been gracious. So if your name's John, that's the meaning of your name right there. John had a brother named James. And when they followed Christ in ministry, Jesus gave them a nickname. He called them the sons of thunder is what he called them. They were very dynamic men. You can read about that in Matthew 3.13. The father of John is Zebedee, and his mother's name is Salami. S-A, not Salami, like you eat, but Salome. S-A-L-O-M-E. That's the mother of John. And they were both present at the death of Christ. Peter, James, and John were viewed as the inner circle of Christ. Christ would talk about his 12 disciples, and then he talks about Peter, James, and John. When he'd go to pray, he would often take Peter, James, and John with him. They were very close associates with Christ. Peter stands alone. James was martyred in the 12th chapter of the book of Acts. And so that leaves John as the author of the book because the uh, location. Peter, James, and John were the founders and pillars, according to Galatians 2.9, of the church at Jerusalem. That's where they were. And so John is viewed as the author of the book. Uh, in addition to that, he refers to himself throughout the book as the disciple whom Jesus loved. He never names himself by, by name, but he always views himself as disciple Jesus loved. He was also a witness to the life of Christ. Uh, he says so right there in chapter 1, verse 14. He says right there at the very beginning, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So he gives you an eyewitness account of what he saw. That's all the internal evidence. When you look at evidence for, for who wrote a book, you look at internal evidence. What does the book itself say? What do other areas of the Bible say about that, about that particular book? Okay. Then you go to what is called external evidence. And external evidence is things that are outside the Bible that would give you a clue as to when the book was written. And the external evidence on, on the, the book that is written comes from the writings of Arrhenius. And Arrhenius lived and died, I should say, he died in A.D. 185. He was a student of another man by the name of Polycarp. Polycarp was a... Was a disciple of the Apostle John. You can go back and read the writings of Polycarp, and he talks about John quite extensively in what he does. Uh, and then when you read on about it, Irenaeus in his book, Against Heresies, a book that he wrote, he said that John was the author of the book. He clearly states that in his writings. So that would be considered external evidence. John lived under the reign at the end of his life of Trajan, 
who ruled over the Roman Empire from 98 to 117 AD. It was also mentioned by Clement of Alexander, Theophilus of Antioch, Origen, and other people that say John wrote the book. So the external evidence is pretty solid. The internal evidence is pretty solid. Uh, a lot of people look at me and say, what would that matter? I say, we're going to study the Gospel of John, and then the first thing you do is come out and say, who wrote the book? That's like, are you stupid? It was written by John. It says the Gospel of John. But I'm just showing you, how do you come to that conclusion? Where is the proof that is written by John? Internally and externally, we conclude that the book was written by John. When was it written? Well, many people give it a late date, but that's been misproven been proven not to be accurate because there was a discovery of a papyrus known as Papyrus 52 that was dated in A.D. 135 and found in Egypt. Okay? So that's not long after at all. In that piece of papyrus, there are portions of John 18, 31 through 33, verses 37 and verse 38. So he's copied straight from the book. When you, when you look at that papyrus and you study the time that it would take to copy the book of John and to get it to Egypt, most people will tell you that, that John wrote the Gospel of John, we know for a fact, after the Synoptic Gospels. And they were all written earlier. And so they date it around 66 to 68 is when the Synoptic Gospels were written. So conservatives believe that the Gospel of John was written from 65 to 90 A.D., somewhere in there, somewhere in that period of time. Um, it's also written after his other writings, which would have been the Epistles and the Book of the Revelation, okay? The epistles and the book of the Revelation, I'm sorry, he wrote the Gospel of John first, then he wrote the epistles and the book of the Revelation after it. So John was written from 65 to 90 A.D., therefore the epistles and the uh, book of the Revelation would have been written after that sometime. Uh, and, and the book of the Revelation was written when he was out, uh, exiled to the Isle of Patmos. What about the deity of the book, okay? We've looked at the author. We've looked at when it was written. What about deity? What does the book tell us about Christ? Where do we see that in the book? Well, we're going to go to the seven I am passages is what we're going to take a look at. Turn in your Bible to John 6, 35. If you don't have your Bible with you, we'll put it up on the screen. John 6 and 35. John 6, 35 it says, And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. What is the significance of that? Well, if you go back into the Bible and you read over in the book of Exodus in the early chapters, Moses is out in the wilderness and he sees a bush that is on fire. And he goes up to this bush and it's not being consumed, but this bush is being burned. And God's voice comes from the bush and begins to speak to him. And Moses asks the question, what is your name? And God responds, I am it's the name of God. And so when you read over here in John chapter six and you read these gospels from a Jewish perspective, 
When he says, I am the bread of life, he is claiming the title of God for himself. That's what he's doing in that book. That's the significance of that statement. Let's look at a second I am statement. Look in the Gospel of John, look in the eighth chapter. Look in chapter eight and verse 12. He says, I am the light of the world. Then Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of him. You look at the next one. Look at John chapter 10. John chapter 10 and look at verse Look at verse 7. John 10, 7. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Verse 9. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Now we're going to go into that in detail when we get to that chapter. But understand, what's he talking about? He's talking about out in the wilderness where sheep herders were, they traveled all over the place. They would move their sheep on a daily basis to find fresh grass and water. Two critical elements, grass and water. Well, all across those plains out there, they had what was called sheepfolds built, which were like giant corrals, like if you ever worked cattle, it was a big corral, built out of stones, okay? Big circular pen. And what they would do in the evening to keep their sheep in place, they would run their sheep into these stone enclosures. And many times the walls of those enclosures would be pretty tall to where the sheep couldn't jump over it. But they were all over that country out there. And then what the shepherd would do is the shepherd would lay down in the doorway or the opening. And so the shepherd became the door. No sheep got out of there. No sheep went in there apart from him. It was a way to protect them. So when Jesus said, I am the door and you are the sheep of my pasture, what do you think he's talking about? He's talking about his care and concern for us, just like a shepherd would. So that's how he refers to himself as the door. He also refers to himself in his 10th chapter as the shepherd. Look at verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. He's saying, I... I'm going to lay down my life for you. He also refers to himself as the resurrection in life. Look at John 11, verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe in this? What he's saying there is, in the first part, he says, I'm the resurrection and life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he will live. So if you die physically, he said, if you believe in me, you're going to live. You're going to have eternal life. And the second thing he says is this. Whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Which one of those statements is true? Both. The first one's talking about if you physically die, you're going to be with God in all eternity. And when you physically die, Spiritually speaking, you will never lose consciousness of God. That's the, that's the death of a believer. When you die physical death, all death becomes is an opening into the spiritual world where you go into the presence of God. Paul put it like this, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. 
That's why the Bible says there is no fear in death. Because in death, you only embrace God in a greater manner and way in which you can in the physical life. What you have seen by faith, you will see with your eyes. What you have read in Scripture, you will live in your life. You will be with God. And that's what he's saying. I am the resurrection and the life. Then you go to John 14. And in John 14, verse 6, he says, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Folks, that's as strong of a deity passage, a, a, a proclamation of I am God, as you can find in Scripture. You know, you'll run into nitwits from time to time that'll make comments like, wow, Jesus never claimed to be God. He never says in the Bible that he's God. Well, that's a true statement to this extent. Jesus never, there's no passage in the Bible where Jesus says, I am God. But when Jesus says, I am, he's identifying that he's one and the same. He's, he's coming in line with God. When you look at this, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man will come to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father. In other words, we're the same. We're of the same essence. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Jesus is the physical, the visible member of the triune Godhead. And what you see in Christ is in the Father and the Holy Spirit, because they are God. That's as clear of a statement of deity as you will find anywhere in Scripture. Chapter 15, verse 1. I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. What's that mean? Well, we're going to look at it in detail, but the vine of, say, a grape, a grape vine, for example, has branches that come off of it that bear fruit. And every branch that comes off that vine gets everything that it needs from the vine. And so what Jesus is saying, I am the source of life. All you need in life, you find in me. He makes life full and complete. Those are all deity passages. But there are other places where Jesus uses I am statements that he doesn't just come right out and say I am and then uses a, a picture of himself. There are some that are somewhat veiled. Look at John chapter 4. This goes beyond the original seven. But when you look at John chapter 4, and you, and you look at verse uh, 20, well, look at verse 25, and it says, And the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ, the anointed one of God. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. He's making a very strong deity statement right there. Look at John chapter 8, verse 24. In John chapter 8, verse 24, Jesus says, Therefore I said to you, 
that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Very clear statement where he uses the I am statement. Look at chapter 13, verse 19. Chapter 13, verse 19. Now I tell you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. You see some other strong deity passages. Look at John chapter 10. John chapter 10. And you look at verse 30. John chapter 10, verse 30. He says, I and my Father are one. What's that mean? I and the Father are the same. We're equal. How do you know it means that? Look at the next verse. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Why would they stone him? What did he do that, call, that would be a call for execution. Jesus answered them. He said, many good works I've shown you from my father. For which of these works do you stone me? And the Jews answered him saying, for a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy and because you being a man, make yourself God. They clearly understood what he was saying. That's a strong Deity passage also. There are numerous others, 14, 9, 20, 28, 18, 5, 18, 6, 18, 8. We could go on and on and on and on and list these passages all through Scripture. You want to look at another good one? Look at John chapter 1, verse 1. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That is pretty plain. Well, preacher, do you know what the word is? It says the word was there. How do you know the word is somebody? Now, I've heard all in cornball argument. Go look at verse 14. It says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, who did that? Jesus Christ. And we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. See? The Word who in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word is Jesus. He is God. That's as plain as you can get, folks. He is fully God in a human body. So there's some of your deity stuff. We're going to dig off into that stuff and look at it in great detail, and you will gain a greater understanding of the deity of Christ. Because that is one of the most attacked things in the Bible. You ask people from other religions, do you believe in Jesus Christ? They say, yeah, I believe in Jesus Christ. Do you think Jesus Christ Messiah said he was a good man? He was a good prophet. For Jesus to claim the stuff that he claims, folks, and yet someone deny him who he claims to be, doesn't make sense. Because if someone says Jesus is a good man, Jesus claims to be God. Jesus claims to be the only way to God. And if he's not telling the truth, then he's not a good man. It would destroy their own argument right there. And so all these passages speak of the deity of Christ. Okay, so we looked at author, time, uh, 
Christ. And now we're going to look at the keys. What are the keys to the gospel of John? We'll start. We'll go chapter, verse, word. What is the key chapter in the gospel of John? The key chapter in the gospel of John is John chapter 3. John chapter 3 is where Jesus has his discourse with Nicodemus. And it also contains one of the more famous verses in the Bible. And that's John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. John chapter 3 is one of the richest chapters in all of the gospel of John. It is the key chapter. What about key verses? John chapter 1 contains some very key verses. 111 to be exact. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Your salvation rests upon God. God is our Savior. And so that's one of your key verses. The other one's the one we read earlier. John 20, verses 30 and 31 says, These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Those are your two key verses. And then the key word. What is the key word in the Gospel of John? The key word is the word believe. That's the key word. Look at chapter 20, verse 31, the verse we read starting out. It says, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. That is key. You know why it's key? Because the, the word believe is used right around 300 times in all of the Bible. Okay, I'm talking about from Genesis all the way to the book of the Revelation. It's used about 300 times. In the Gospel of John, the word believe is used 98 times. Almost one-third of all uses in Scripture is in the Gospel of John. And that's, that's critical for this. Because when you start talking about what does it take for a person to be saved, you've got a book here that 98 times it says believe. 98 times it says believe. That's the key word. There are other key words in the Gospel of John. Cosmos is a key word. It's used, I think, like 60-something times. And then the word uh, meno, which abide or remain, I think is used 34 times. Those are, those are key words. But believe, brother, when you get a word that's used 98 times, that gives you a general idea of what the book's about. Okay? What is the basic structure of the book? The basic structure of the book goes like this. Chapter 1, verse 1 through 118 deals with the incarnation of Jesus Christ. What is the incarnation? It's where eternal God takes on a human body, becomes man. Okay? That's the incarnation. Chapter 1, 1 through 118. Chapter 1, verse 19 through chapter 4, verse 54, Jesus is presented as the Son of God. In chapter 5, verse 1, through 1250, which is the last verse in that chapter, we see the hatred for Jesus Christ. 
That's going to be a big section of where everyone turns on him. And it takes you all the way through his crucifixion. But inside that is another key little section, and that's in John 13 through 1726, which is the Upper Room Discourse. And the Upper Room Discourse is a set of lengthy messages that Jesus shares with his disciples about things to come and the way things are. Very, very important part. We'll spend some time on that. And then 18.1 through 21.5 talks about his crucifixion and resurrection. But that's how the book breaks down. It's a study of the person of Jesus Christ with a view towards his deity. That Jesus Christ is God. And he's God come in the flesh. And he came in the flesh and he lived a sinless life. And he died a death on the cross. And he died that death when he bore our sin. He became our substitute. And he bore your sin. He bore my sin. And he died. He was buried. And he was raised again to show that God accepted a payment for sin. And he says, if you believe on me, why? Because I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man will come to the Father except through me. The only way to God is through the person of Jesus Christ. And the only way through the person of Jesus Christ is by believing on him. Instead of believing that your works are good enough or your effort is good enough, instead of trusting in that or trusting that God is somehow going to just be nice to you or something. Folks, I, when I was lost, I, I had, all, I had a, a very complicated gospel for me. And that gospel is like this. I'm going to get to heaven, but I'm going to be the last rung on the ladder. And I'm going to be hanging on by my fingernails, but I'm going to get in there, man. Because I knew what the alternative was. I didn't want to spend eternity in hell. I said, I'll hang on to that last rung, okay? I would do a good deed, and I would say, surely that good deed will get me into heaven. And so forth and so on. I mean, all kinds of nonsense that my fleshly mind came up with. But then one day I heard the gospel. And I realized there's only one way to God. And that one way to God is through the person of Jesus Christ. Doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter what you've done. There are some notorious evil people in this book right here that are saved by God. All right? There is a notorious evil person speaking to you right now that was saved by God. Because God is a savior of sinful man. And that's what he came to do. He came to save his people from their sin. And so God came to deliver mankind from the greatest dilemma he ever faces. And that is an eternity separated from a holy God. Eternal punishment, eternal suffering. And he delivers you from that through the person of Jesus Christ. How does he do that? He does that because Jesus Christ took our punishment. He took the wrath of God as our substitute. And your sin and my sin was paid for on the person of Christ. And when you believe on Jesus Christ, God takes your sin from you. But even more than that, he gives you the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus lived, I told you, as a Jewish male on earth, he kept the law. He was perfect. He's the only one to go to the cross. What God does is he transfers to your account the righteousness of Jesus Christ, which is the righteousness of God, according to Paul. 
And so when you enter the presence of heaven, it's not based on what you've done. It's based upon the righteousness of Christ. And so you could walk right into the presence of God without fear. Because you have his righteousness. Folks, that's the blessed salvation that this Bible talks about. Doesn't matter who you are. Jesus' death is sufficient for any sin of man. And he will deliver you from your sin if you will believe on him. Trust in Christ. When that Philippian jailer asked Paul, he said, what must I do to be saved? Paul said, well, you got to go join the church. You got to quit smoking, quit drinking. He said, I quit that card playing, quit running around with all them women, quit doing all that cussing. No, what did he say? He said, believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Amen. That's what he said. That's what the gospel says, that Jesus died, was buried and raised again. And when you believe in Jesus, you will have eternal life. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you in prayer and we thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your grace toward us. We thank you for the forgiveness that we have in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And Father, I pray if there's one here today that's never trusted Christ, that they would embrace him today. They would see him as the Savior King that has come into the world to destroy sin and that he has destroyed and that he offers eternal life through faith in him. Father, might we see that today. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done. We look forward to this study and ask your blessings upon it, that you prepare us for it, that we receive it with gladness, that you do a transforming work in our life as a result of it. For it's in Christ Jesus' name we pray, Lord. Amen.